Cannabis is like oregano. It's an herb that grows in the ground, then you harvest it and consume it, right? Well, that much is true, but you don't process oregano into an aerosol that you inhale, and you sure wouldn't buy oregano anywhere but the supermarket where you buy the other groceries that are inspected and regulated. Okay, before we strain this metaphor any further, let me mention that in this episode of the podcast, we speak with Antonio Frazier, president of CannaSafe, a Los Angeles-based firm that provides extensive testing services to the cannabis industry. We do ramble a bit, but mainly we talk about the importance of quality testing and about the social equity piece of this emerging market, and also how Antonio's experience as a Division I football player at Furman University helped him prepare for his current role. It may be unglamorous work, but it is absolutely essential to consumer confidence in cannabis. And if the quality of your cannabis is important to you, you'll want to listen to this episode. If you like the podcast, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or your other favorite podcast player. And please leave a review so other people can find the show. Thanks to our producer, Danny, in Milwaukee. And here's my interview with Antonio Frazier. Cannabis is booming, and Cannaboom is on it. Welcome to the Cannaboom Podcast, where we interview experts on the changing story of humans, health, and hemp. From San Diego, here's your host, Tom Stacy. Hey, it's Tom, back with the Cannaboom Podcast. This week, we have Antonio Frazier of CannaSafe. How are you doing, Antonio? I'm doing well, Tom, and yourself? Very good, thank you. I'm in San Diego. You're up in L.A. and enjoying yeah. the, the California weather. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not It's uh, not too bad. Of course, it's a little chilly at night, but, you know, that's why I moved out here for this gorgeous weather. You know, it's just like a little hoodie. It's not like uh, when I was in Baltimore, when I was in, like, parkas and boots and whatnot. I don't really have to deal with that anymore. <laughs> really? I, I understand. I'm, I'm from Michigan, and uh, this time of year, I'm, I'm like, wow, it's it's amazing to be out here. Exactly. Tell us about your role at CannaSafe and how you came there. Yeah, so uh, I'm currently our president of CannaSafe. Started as uh, the lab manager about four years ago now. Um, I know it sounds like a crazy, uh, you know, uh, transition, and that's really what it was. The business itself uh, was founded back in 2011, founded by a family down in Marietta, California. One of my uh, ex football teammates and now CEO of CannaSafe got back into cannabis after a uh, what we call our early pre-licensee in South Carolina. You know, uh, he tried to be a distributor before it was legal, got in a little bit of trouble, uh, finished up schools elsewhere, and then he wanted to re-enter the market and knew that I was running an aerospace laboratory. So, long story short, after about two years of recruiting, uh, that's a whole different podcast probably, but uh, after two years of recruiting me and my wife, we moved out to L.A. Um, and we joined CannaSafe, you know, just seeing that, that, the, um, that the company itself was based in consumer safety and that everyone uh, here had the patient in mind. So for me, it was an opportunity to come out and really um, forge data and provide data to something that a lot of people don't really think about. You know, you've been people have been smoking weed for a long time. California has been had this huge market for decades and generations, but no one's really put data behind it about, you know, what is it? Is it safe? Or, you know, what are you getting? Is it consistent? You know, and what really makes good, what puts data behind good marijuana? We'll circle back to the data, but you said a couple of interesting things there that I think the audience will be interested in. You played football and you were in aerospace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So, played college football all, all the way through, uh, like, played from, I guess, middle school all the way through college. Uh, the big thing for me was a scholarship. You know, I actually, uh, it was between Harvard and Furman University. It's a pretty interesting combination, but Ivy League, they don't do, um, they don't do, scholarships or like they only do for financial scholarships and my father and my mother were like the first college you know graduates uh out of their families and generation and my dad just couldn't get over he said he felt punished you know for doing well for himself that he couldn't 
that I couldn't earn a scholarship there. So uh, we went with the Southern version of it uh, and uh, played football there. Uh, really, like I said, I mean, I've always been a big sports person, but for me, I always wanted to be an engineer. My, my mom was an engineer before she passed away. So with that being said, uh, I went and got my dual degree from Furman and Clemson because Furman doesn't have an engineering program. So all that being crazy enough, I went to a school knowing I would have to get a second degree uh, in the middle of it all. So that's another story. And then uh, graduated um, and got my first job in nuclear engineering. So I was doing construction uh, for Tennessee Valley Authority. There was a Watts Bar nuclear project there. The only one commission at the time was pretty much the model. Uh, I had to testify in front of the USNRC pretty much daily about our actions. You know, if you sign, if you walked into a room, you had to sign your name and attest to being there. So, you know, always really heavy regulatory based. And then I uh, took a job in Baltimore like four years after that. And I ran an aerospace lab. I, I came in as the manager and quickly progressed through to take over the foundry and some other departments and got a really early kind of baptism in the leadership because there was a union shop plus you know I had my salary lab employees so I really had some trial by fire type training between the two schools I juggled and uh, the quick progression into management and somehow ended up in California in a weed lab so here we are <laughs> yeah that's the story of you're sort of a renaissance man an athlete and a, yeah. and a scholar and, and an engineer yeah I like to and, think that right that's how I that's how I sold my wife on it but she'll tell you it's a it's a it was all a hoax. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people think of cannabis as this organic substance. You grow it and you could grow it in your backyard. And, you know, we pay, people have used it for, I don't know, tens of thousands of years. But what you guys do is you look at the data, you quantify the all sorts of things about it, right? Yeah, all sorts of things, whether it be, you know, everyone was focused on cannabinoids for the longest and uh and obviously terpenes are important and really what have been kind of lost in the conversation and something we should come back to. Uh, but then beyond that, just like you said, it's supposed to be organic, but maybe not. You know, if you're soil, I mean, California is a pretty mineral rich state. So, you know, the gold rush was here for a reason. So there's minerals, there's heavy metals that are in the soil here. And also there's pesticides that are safe to use in wine and other industries uh, that maybe if the, you know, that we know for a fact was pushed, you know, there's the whole, you know, boogeyman of Eagle 20, you know, as Michael know was the um, active ingredient in it. And when you heat it to a certain degree, it turns into hydrogen cyanide. And uh, that was really one of the main pesticides used in cannabis for decades until data proved that that, you know, was potentially dangerous. And of course, I don't think people were using it to a point where they were really introducing, um, you know, heavy amounts of it, but just the potential of it was there because of the mis, uh, you know, just because of the misunderstanding that, it, you know, when you ingest it for wine, yeah, that's okay. But if you light something on fire, you know, those chemicals break down, they change. And that's something the industry addressed super quick. So one thing that's really important acknowledge that, yeah, when we first started doing this, a lot of this stuff was quote-unquote dirty. You know, people didn't realize it, but the industry adjusted really quick. The good players uh, have really got their stuff really clean. It's really dialed in, and now we can certify that uh, it truly is safer than organic. I mean, like, there's no, there's nothing else in the consumer market tested besides, like, pharmaceuticals and things. Like, food is not tested nearly to the rigors of your cannabis. So if you really want to eat clean, you know, you should go eat edible. We all remember a year ago before this whole COVID mess hit, we were sort of in the throes of a vaping crisis where people thought vaping was safe. They had been doing it for, for 10 years or so. And then people were getting sick all of a sudden. Some people died. Is vaping safe? Um, I mean, so sorry, excuse my arm there. 
what I would say to that is that anything can be dangerous if done the wrong way. So vaping, what you, we well dealt with last year, like you said, people had done it for decades. I had no issues. What had happened is that the market had transformed into um, a illicit one, you know, one where people were trying to add uh, shortcuts and cutting agents to things to stretch product. And they introduced this product called vitamin acetate. There's a natural version at lower amounts that can be good. But when you use this cheaper version, the synthetic version that became rampant and, you know, it looks like THC oil, it's, it doesn't have a smell, you know, it's just a really good cutting agent. We have to realize that we're talking about people playing alchemists here, you know, so just like other drugs that can be processed, you know, when you go away from the plant and you start processing this stuff, you can introduce dangerous things into it, just like with solvents and other things and pesticides. When you start processing this plant, you most certainly can um, bring out some of the bad human or you introduce some of the human fallacies and some of the human mistakes that make this product dangerous so i'm not going to say all vaping is safe because like i said you can get a product where the temperature gets too high someone has cutting agents in there too much flavoring or artificial flavoring but if you buy legal stuff and that's what we were able to help differentiate last year the stuff in the legal market doesn't have those types of editors and whatnot you know like the, the legal market isn't trying to give you BS because you wouldn't, you know, as a consumer, as a cannabis consumer, you wouldn't tolerate, you know, that low quality of product anyway. So vitamin E acetate was definitely one of the culprits. Mm -hmm. You know, I looked into it a little and, you know, in other cutting agents, there's MCT oils and stuff. And right. there were concerns about lipid pneumonia. You know, your lungs aren't really designed to process fats. No, I mean, no, there's all kinds of things out there. Yeah, there's PG, PG oil. No, there's a lot of cutting agents out there. Vitamin E seemed to be the number one um, perpetrator for what we were experiencing. But you have to realize that those MCT oils and PG oils, those are the main carriers on the tobacco fluids. And that's why they were used uh, simply because of that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, 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 yeah, this stuff is pretty rampant. And, yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of the e-cigs are a lot of the problem, too, because they're heavy in flavor. I mean, this, this is how we see it here and how, I mean, I see it as a true person. Cannabis, like, not, like, cannabis isn't supposed to taste like strawberry bubblegum. Right. You shouldn't have to put a bunch of artificial things in there to make it taste like that. And Lord knows we know we don't want to bring the kids into the argument, but that's just not happening in cannabis. I mean, there's so many rules that, uh, you know, discourage that, you know, you can't have any of this other stuff. It can't be targeted for kids, nor should it be, you know, um, although, you know, kids should be allowed to dose with the, under proper care, but that's a totally different conversation. And yeah, that's the misconception, you know, is that, you know, there's this e-cig push, there's illicit cannabis, but when you really focus on the legal cannabis market, which is who we work with, then you see that there are better options. And, you know, you're never going to have a pulmonologist, a doctor say anything but put air into your lungs, you know. So it's really hard to say safe when you know the safest thing is to put nothing but, you know, the true vitamin. I mean, that's why eventually this stuff will become like an inhaler. You know, there's a reason why inhaler is such an important delivery device for people with, uh, with uh, asthmatic issues because of the effectiveness, the rapid onset of it all. They've just been able to research it and, and produce it in a manner to where you can deliver it and not bring a bunch of other nasty byproducts with it. So right. that'll eventually happen in cannabis. It's just, unfortunately, um, we haven't had any money spent on it. There hasn't been billions of dollars of researching universities doing things for all this time to put it in some kind of ideal format for the vulnerable patients that really need it. Do you see that dynamic changing as markets open up? Will there be more research from universities and, and the government? 
Absolutely. Um, it's happening now in California. Uh, there's some grants, state level and federal level, already for CBD research. And that's really where it's going to break, break ground, right? It's going to start in CBD, and then um, it'll be trickled into cannabis from there. And hopefully, um, there's also a research bill that's going to allow the universities to research products from dispensaries and not uh, from the uh, old Miss, uh, <laughs> the old Miss 7% THC farm over there. <laughs> so, no offense to any of the growers at old Miss or the federal work. But uh, not really representative of what we're smoking out here. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's kind of been a joke for a while. And (laughs) that's really good news that that we'll be able to study actual stuff that people are consuming. Hopefully, hopefully. Right. I mean, and that's what we got to really start activating people to understand, hey, like you can vote for these things and you can push people into getting this stuff done for us. You just have to be aware of it and be a little bit more active. I mean, I know our, you know, our legislative system isn't the prettiest right now, but I mean, there is opportunity to influence this right now. This is a hot topic. Um, you know, you don't, I hate to see cannabis kind of being pandered as it is now. I mean, I know everyone's excited about what's going on in the House, but with the Senate we currently have, you know, it just, it just doesn't seem, you know, that we're going to get too, too far with it, but we'll see. Um, you know, but that's what we can actually drive. We can actually make them make decisions about it if enough people, you know, demand it. When I look at your website, there's I look under the services tab, and there's a long list of services that you guys provide. I mean, there's a lot of science to this, measuring different things. And as you mentioned, there's metals in the ground, and a lot of people don't realize hemp or cannabis is a, is a bioaccumulator, right? It kind of Reckless. sucks things out of the ground. Yeah, yeah. And then, as you also mentioned, solvents, pesticides, uh, herbicides, all that stuff in the processing. So there's a lot of checking you have to do to make sure that it's it's clean. Correct. It's a very expensive process to get a product to market, uh, you know, uh, to insure it with all the testing points you really need to have to be sure. Obviously, people get a process down and they peel back on testing. But yeah, when you first set your process up, you really do want to have a bunch of these control points after you introduce certain uh, adulterants into it, you know, or, or, or different things that process through. You want to make sure you don't leave them in there and they're not at certain levels. Is there certain things that consumers should look for? A, they shouldn't probably buy it off the legacy market, they should go to a dispensary. You know, I know there's certificates of analysis. Are there other things that consumers should look for to protect themselves when they buy cannabis? Yeah, I mean, obviously buying legal is always ideal. You can always ask your butt tender for the the COA, just like you said, you know, just to make sure that they're keeping up and uh, making sure that documentation is available for you. Um, I would also advise, I mean, if you have a home grow, I mean, these things aren't dangerous. It's just, you know, do your research, talk to people. There's a bunch of organizations out there that are trying to help people get access because, unfortunately, it is expensive in illegal dispensaries. So, um, you know, you don't want to cut patients off from things in need. Like you said, the traditional market is still there and it's still strong. You know, so for us, uh, we've even seen an interesting push in the traditional market to um, deliver clean medicine, uh, which is, you know, a good thing in the idea of it. But there's just no traceability, no follow up, no insurance. You know, there's just that lack of uh, complete, you know, yeah, you may have a moonshine guy, but you never know if that moonshine guy, you know, decides to change up his products one day. You know, there's nothing really guarantee you guaranteeing that, you know, so that's unfortunately the same risk you're placing um, on yourself, but obviously there needs to be a better market available for a um, for, for for everyone. It's not ideal right now. 
that's a bigger conversation too. I mean, the the politics of it and the and the taxation. I know here in California, it's tempting for people to go on Weed Maps and find a traditional provider yeah. because it's cheaper. It's a lot, it's yeah. like thirty five percent cheaper. A lot cheaper, right? Yeah, and, and, and even yeah, it's it's a lot cheaper, <laughs> and that's really all you can. That, that's enough to make you say there needs to be a conversation about it. You know, I, I don't want to go into comparing. You know, the two. I will say the legal market does have the assurance of being tested. You know, whether the traditional market is saying otherwise, you know, I don't I don't like that conversation. Um, it, it is nice. It is part of the conversation, though, as well. You know, if these uh, clean products are available. But, yeah, by legal. It's really what it needs to be. And then talk to your regulators about making it more accessible. That's what our mission should be. Have you seen people from the the legacy market, the traditional market, come in for testing? Are they testing the products? Uh, yeah, we're seeing it online a lot. Uh, you know, we try our best to service patients, uh, but obviously, we try not to be conflicted with illicit market, you know, activity. But we most certainly will have people that have home grows or you know are making small batch edibles and whatnot for patients that do come in and get it tested. And that's why I'm saying the conversation is happening. And we're looking for better insight from our regulars because we want everyone to get tested, right? Like we don't want to deny testing to anyone. But obviously, you know, if we're going to be associated or potentially held liable for any other kind of um, activity, that's where we want to just protect ourselves as a business. But we really would love to offer it to anyone, uh, you know, who is interested in ensuring that the products that they're either administering to others or themselves are safe. You know, that would, that would be ideal, right? Like, just let everyone have a chance to, but you just don't know if someone's going to come in, get one vape card tested, and then go sell 20 million vape cards claiming they all were tested the same way. That's the problem. That's the difference. You know, there's no batch control in the illicit market or the um, traditional market, whereas there is in the legal What's a bigger part of your business? Is it THC or CBD? Uh, it's THC for now, uh, for sure, just because California is such a large market. I mean, we're in L.A. Uh, you know, we are uh, the consumer safety brand. So most certainly for THC, it is larger right now. But I do believe the hemp market is going to just absolutely. I mean, once the products actually are regulated properly, people don't realize right now the products are all technically federally illegal still. You still can't, I think only like say hemp seed oil and and something else is actually illegal for consumption, but all the actual products of infusing cosmetics or supplements and whatnot, that's technically still federally illegal. There's just some, some states that have allowed it and there's not a lot of enforcement. That said, once that's regulated and formalized, it's gonna just dwarf the THC market. You guys are going to have to expand. <laughs> uh, right. That's part of the conversation. That's, that's already in the works. We're already, uh, you know, thinking about those next steps and plotting them right now. I've heard there's about 3,000 CBD brands, and I don't know how many of them are actually verifiably tested. I think it's probably a small handful. Um, I mean, it is a smaller, it's definitely a smaller percent than THC, but there are some really good CBD companies out there that, that, that uh, do test. Some of them, you know, have THC counterparts, so we work with them both, with uh, both sides of it. Uh, but, yeah, but, but, but most certainly there are some, but the percent is much lower than you would, you know, obviously going into a legal THC store. You know, everyone's looking forward to federal decriminalization. Is that why you need to expand your factory? <laughs> well, um, decriminalization is a step. That's probably where we're going to end up. I think with this administration, the first thing they're going to do is decriminalize it. But I think there just needs to be, I mean, you, you, need, you need to regulate it too. I mean, you have to allow access. You can't just say, oh, I won't lock you up and ruin your life anymore. Now there's patients, there's people who have found, you know, the opioid crisis is, you know, is, is pretty, it's pretty ugly. You know, a lot of people don't really um, understand how disruptive 
uh, these 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 drugs and opioids have become to to kids and uh, you know like the 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 kind of like the crack pandemic, but it's just not talked about. I think there's some racial uh, bias there that we could just that, that we could probably talk about because who this uh, who this pandemic is uh, actually impacting, but it's pretty bad, um, and that's what people have found so much relief from. And so much less addiction and so much better functionality, so much better quality of life. It's the pain management thing. You know, instead of giving someone a bunch of pills to get by, you know, you really can have some specially formulated products. Now, it's not just, you know, flour in a joint. There's uh, there's tinctures, there's topicals, there's uh, bombs, bath bombs. There's so many different ways that you can take this medicine now that people have found relief and have um, gotten off of hard medication and pharmaceuticals. And I just can't see why that wouldn't be a positive uh, considering right. the damage that we've seen. Yeah, there's so much that you just talked about there that we could unload, but harm reduction is huge. In the social aspect of it, you don't want these white-collar guys coming in and getting rich when so many people are have been incarcerated over the years, and they need those records need to be expunged, people need to be released, and there needs to be a social equity piece, and, and I know you're involved in that, right? Yeah, no, exactly. There, I think there has to be. I think if you really want to balance the tide, if you really want to talk about, you know, oh, well, slavery was over, well, it's like, well, no, look at these new mechanisms, the new Jim Crow, like the drug, the war on drugs has been used as a mechanism or a cousin of slavery for decades and it's impacted so many communities and here's a direct opportunity, a new revenue stream that uh, is going to be taxed and, um, you know, just needs to go directly to the people impacted. And like you said, you have to expunge records, but that's just, just, that's just beginning of justice. You know, that's not even close to being, you know, given these communities. And, and, and I'm not the one to say that every thing has to come with, you know, only cannabis business can be owned by someone who's been to jail. I'm like, no, you direct those taxes directly to the communities that have been impacted. These zip codes are clear as day. L.A. County has them. We know where these people have been targeted at. I mean, like it is clear as day. So why not aliquot the majority of these proceeds that are coming? Because these stores are being not put in those areas. Those stores are being put in North Hollywood. I mean, what West Hollywood? You know, you got these pretty places in Venice that are all gorgeous. You know, those are where the stores are. People don't want to put a those stores in these areas have been impacted. And that's where the illicit market continues to thrive because all these storefronts are blatantly are blatant. You know, you know, I know people maybe on the East Coast may not gather the gravity the, 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 the gravity of this, but, you know, where, you know, in California, a lot of these traditional stores aren't exactly hidden. You know, it's pretty, you know, it's almost like you wouldn't even know they were illicit or tra- traditional, honestly, because they're so, uh, they have such a, storefront or whatever you want to call it, you know, there's such a brand behind it. We're veering probably back into politics and policy again, but there are tax dollars to be recovered here if we do this in the right way and allocating some of those tax dollars into communities that have been hurt by some of these wrongheaded policies of the past. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish we could have more confidence in our political systems. I mean, we, we those need to kind of be more responsive to the actual needs on the ground, but we all vote. And we all have a voice, right? Um, mm-hmm. what, what can listeners do to help on the social equity side of this? Um, I think get involved. Uh, like you said, like we all vote, uh, make it a part of the conversation. Uh, we're seeing a lot of these counties and cities run to a cannabis poly, trying to force one through the end of this year, hoping to recover some tax dollars next year. Everyone's running on a deficit due to COVID and the natural impact. This is just such a something everyone already agrees on. So you're saying some people just do it for the financial. But while that process is happening, 
demand some of this stuff. I mean, we saw New York slow down with this uh, rules last year. I forget the Congress lady uh, that was for that one. I think it was Barbara. I can't. I, 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 I don't want to misspeak, but she made it very clear. Hey, I'm for uh, I'm for legalizing, but I'm not for you know not not the money not going back to the right community. So I hope New York is still on that track, but they were one of the main ones, you know, between stop and frisk historically, you know, so much, you know, uh, displacement has happened there. So I'm hoping that, you know, we can get someone to kind of set it up right. And then, the, um, and then the federal model can, uh, you know, trickle it down once some state does it the right way first. Yeah. It's interesting how cannabis lends itself to this kind of activity. For a long time, people, it was underground and you didn't speak of it. And now it's coming out. And as you say, with, with COVID and everything, local governments are going to need tax revenues. And I think there might be a, a tidal wave of towns saying, yeah, we, we're okay now. We need a dispensary because we could have some tax income and we could help begin to address some of these problems with those taxes. Precisely. I mean, that's what you want to be able to do. Among all the products that you've seen come through your factory, do you have a favorite product or service? Oh, man. Okay. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, I'm a <laughs> huge fan of one of our brands, uh, Kana uh, Sunderstorm. Uh, they are a gummy. They're just like whole, uh, just just wellness and health, just clean product. They even have a vegan line. Uh, they've also ventured into nanotechnology for bioavailability. So a lot of the brands I'm really big on are the ones that are health focused. I mean, I think it's kind of hard for us to claim to be a cannabis industry. I think we're placing cannabis products in other sectors, whether it be health, whether it be leisure, you know, like this, we haven't really gotten all ourselves together to call ourselves an industry quite yet. So when you see these brands do it well and searching themselves and uh, understanding their target audience, it's just really, really top notch. Uh, there's also a lot of smaller equity brands. That I'm a huge fan of, uh, a huge fan of Sanctuary Farms is out of NorCal, but just great outdoor flower. Like a lot of these smaller, a lot of these smaller operators have some really unique product, you know, cause they've been cultivating certain strains for certain ways for you know for for, for generations and then you know there's some good healing creams as well that i've become such big fans of because you know i know these people who are creating it and i know you know how much it means to them and i know all about their products and their formulation that's what's cool about the lab is that a lot of times you get to hear people what they're doing and you're like oh wow that's a lot of effort you're putting into your product there. like tell me more right and, and those are normally the ones that when you go try it you really have that consistent experience because they've done so much on the formulation and to ensure a consistent experience. So I have kind of a little cheat sheet, um, so to speak, but, uh, but, 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 but yeah, most certainly there's a lot of them out there. I'm sorry if I didn't, you know, go into more of our clients, so please don't get me in trouble here. Uh, but, uh, but, 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 but no, those are the ones that I know I personally dealt with and just on top of my head. So, yeah. I, I love Kana too. I mention it almost every episode, but, um, if I have trouble sleeping, I, I cut one of those in half and a five milligram indica gummy is yeah. a magical thing. <laughs> I mean, it's just so consistent, you know, and that's what I know. I mean, like, so, I mean, their, their brand is built by science. I mean, so that's what they're, 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 that's, that's one of the trading. That's what they're, that's our model. I'm not sure what you call it, but I know that, you know, like everything they do is based on formulation and on consistency and they do everything they can to provide you with a consistent experience. I think that's really important. That is an important point in that when you have a bud and you buy some flour, there might be more terpenes in the bottom of that bud than in the top or vice versa. Preach. Preach. There you go, Tom. <laughs> I had to get you on the road, man. You can't say polo on. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so that, that's the business you're in is helping 
helping these brands even out their consistency, right? I mean, that's what the consumer wants. They, you don't walk into a McDonald's and have a different hamburger on, on a different coast. Yeah, I mean, that is um, what you would think, but I can't say that everyone's focused on that. I'm, I mean, I, I wish I could say that's what everyone's focused was. That's what I, I wish I could say that's what everyone was doing. But some of our relationships are simply, oh, how high can my THC be? I'm like, well, as high as my instrument says it is, but, you know, nothing I can do about, you know, making it higher than that. So, um, yeah, ideally, that's what you're trying to do. And that's what you see in the brands that have the most success, the brands that have gone from not on the top charts to top three, top five. That's the story that they're telling. And uh, I mean, I could I mean, yeah, that's just case someone free marketing advice. That's someone should. I'll bill y'all for that. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, but, but yeah, I mean, those are the ones that you're really seeing you know, take hold with the consumer. Those are the ones you're seeing, you know, use the lab results, you know, tell the story about science, tell the patient a little bit about what this means for them. And man, I mean, people are just really, 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 um, really sticking to that. Obviously that requires a little more processing. You could make a a vape cartridge that's pretty consistent once you dial it in, but your flower, you're going to test that for solvents and pesticides and all that, but there's still going to be variability within a bud. Yeah, a lot. A lot of variability in the bud, which is why flower is going to be one of the last things to be, you know, formally recognized as something like federally um, administrative. You know, that's why you're seeing, you know, even the VA when they get uh, money to research is for synthetic marijuana. That way it's, you know, something more controlled. You know, that's the idea behind some of that. In the lab, you see innovations as they come in. You mentioned nanotechnology, and I just bought some uh, gummies that claim they use live resin, and I don't know what difference that will make in a gummy, but I know that process is, that's about flash freezing, right? Yeah, um, so when, I guess, first of your first part of it, what I would think, which I've never tried it or really talked about it, but I would think, I know with live resin, you're going to leave a lot more of the minor cannabinoids and terpenes intact. So potentially if live resin, which it seems to be a very expensive product, honestly, it sounds like it must have cost you some more money too. Uh, but uh, I would think that that is because, uh, you know, they're leaving more of those flavonoids, more of those things that come in the plant with that, uh, with that live resin process. Like you said, like freezing those things in place as opposed to process, like, you know, allowing them to degrade over time. So that's what I would assume you're getting, but I'm not sure what they're advertising uh, with that. I would have to see if they're talking about terpenes and profiles or what they're really telling you, but that would be my assumption. Yeah. Well, I wasn't sure if it's a marketing gimmick. I mean, uh, honestly, it was like a Black Friday deal. I got 25% off. I got some gummies. I think they were 20 bucks. Yeah. But, you know, well, obviously... You know, I mean, you're, you're seeing people challenge, you know, what is live resin, what's not. I mean, you're you're absolutely seeing people, you know, make claims to certain things or redefining definitions. So, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that that I couldn't tell you. Because you have to know what their process is exactly, right? Before you can say or agree. Because what is live resin, right? Like we don't, we, we we haven't agreed as a community what exactly constitutes that. We have some strong opinions. Please don't, please don't come beat me up, anybody. But, uh, but <laughs> there's no formal definition for how the CDPH, you know, would require you to label something live resin. That's my point. You know, like yeah, no regulatory balance for it. I mean, if it preserves all the terpenes and cannabinoids, well, the terpenes w- would be accessible if you're inhaling, if you're combusting or, or vaping. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, in a gummy that you have in your mouth for a minute or two, you might taste those terpenes. But is it going to have a different efficacy? And, yeah, like you said. I believe it actually will, Tom. So so, 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 so there's two things that you just that, that you were saying there. First, so I believe there is a difference. I mean, because we do know 
if you were to like eat an orange and then smoke, you have a much different um, effect than it would be if you don't eat that orange because those terpenes open you up and they do things to your receptors, but they're also in heavy concentrations in an orange and they are in the plant. So, and as a scientist, I would challenge your other thing about live resin and say like, well, how much do you know you're freezing? Because the issue is there's thousands of other components that we're not quantifying. So do you really know what you're preserving and whose live resin process reserves the most of the unknown? That's almost kind of what live resin alludes to is that I'm getting everything, but it's like, well, what is really everything where we're only measuring like 30 weight percent of this thing? Like we, there's so many other things that we haven't even measured yet. So how do you really know what you haven't left behind? That is my nerdy argument that I will give you. So I'm not, I'm not trying to challenge everyone that's saying live resin. Lord knows I, I do agree with everything you know, what it is, but it's almost like with nano, you know, like what particle size, you know, is small enough or when does it not make a difference anymore? You know, that kind of research hasn't been done yet, but it will when we have federal, you know, when we have more federal monies, uh, uh, you know, propping up these research efforts. Okay. So that's your job is somebody comes to you and says, I want to quantify this or that. And I imagine you guys have like a clean room and the processes that you, that you have in place. Do you ever have to like invent processes to find things that. Great question. Great question. Yes. And it's very expensive, which is what the, when you want money for, right? So right now the things that we target are things that we know people are going to be required to test for or things that we know are prominent enough, right? So we have, you know, a very, uh, a much larger list of terpenes here simply because we know terpenes will eventually be something that is gonna be very pronounced and a bigger part of the process. But other things, some people will come to us like, hey, can you measure this for me? And it's like, well, that's gonna cost me $250,000 to get that process set up. We know how, and you only wanna spend $2,000 for your testing. So it's like, hey, unless you got like, you know, a hundred more friends coming behind you, then I'm gonna have to pass on this project. So, uh, so, so, so there are a lot of things people ask us to do that we simply were like, yeah, we could, but it would cost so much money for us to set that to set up that testing and to be able to stand behind the data, um, and we just, you know, the investment isn't there, the return on investment isn't there. Other labs would just do something, put it together, and tell you, yeah, I tested your this, but it's like, no, that's not really, you know, like anyone can turn that data up, you know, and and, and that's why we are hoping to to see more regulations put out around vapor testing. That's something that we've started to do a lot here, but we know at the end of the day that the government's gonna set, well, how do you do the vapor testing? And we're hoping, you know, if we were, we're trying to influence them, but uh, at the end of the day, they're gonna declare what data matters. Mm-hmm. And that's what everybody's waiting on. It's like, hey, because I mean, another another trip of the industry is like, so Colorado has um, declared they're going to test for heavy metals in the in, in vape cars. They're going to require the aerosol to be tested from from vape devices for heavy metals. So, but they have yet to tell anyone how the, that they're going to do that test. So you guys have to figure so, that out. I mean, I, that is something. Yeah, you could try to figure it out, but then who's to say they don't choose somebody else's method after you spend, you know a quarter million dollars on setting something up. So that's kind of the trick is like, do you try to figure it out, which a lot of research labs are, or do you wait around till they tell you what to do and then you implement it? So there's just all these things that people, you know, may not be considering or, um, you know, thinking about. So you have to go mm-hmm. buy an electron microscope or a, some kind of... Something, something, yeah. I mean, all, all those things can be used. You know, all those things are important characteristics, those traditional methodology that you just referenced there but yeah there's always something and then cannabis being such a unique matrix you always got to make sure um it's it's actually applicable like you know you're actually looking at it the same way because the matrix differences you know depending on how you either extract it or how you can 
prepare the sample? That's all dependent on can you use that te- technology or, or is that technology useful? Excuse me. Boy, that's an interesting place to be. You're at the technology is advancing, <laughs> the, the science of you know what to look for. There's a lot of innovation in this space, right? Oh man, it's a ton. I really don't want I don't want people to feel like you know we don't know what's going on. You know, there's a very good set of you know daily rules and things to protect your health and to give you education right now. But all we're saying is that you know all the traditional knowledge and you know data that comes with food or pharma just isn't there yet. And that's why there's so many. Well, it may be what ifs, cool things like you said. The innovation is wide open, which is also why it's fun to be here. I mean, me being an engineer, a lot of me coming out here was simply because we get to solve problems. Every Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's definitely that uh, f- fulfillment in, in this position is that there's always going to be problems, you know, so uh, because there's no one exactly agrees on how to do it. Yet. Right. And you guys are largely in the background. I mean, there's not a like a can of safe seal, like a good housekeeping seal that consumers should look for. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, you can say that. I mean, we're on more packaging than any other brand in the state because all, all the the brands that we use are some of the largest. So we ended up realizing that we're on more packaging than any other company out there because some of our a lot of our brands do use our can of safe C on their uh, packaging because it's pretty recognizable after the vape crisis and everyone knowing that the the data that we were able to provide. So most certainly um, do have that impact, but no, we don't have any products for consumers to directly consume. But we love, you know delivering information with the with our partners to do. I mean, we, we, we really have targeted some of the best producers to work with simply because we want to, we know their products can be the ones that end up, you know, getting approved or, you know, passing the test because of all the work that they put in. Yeah. Okay. So we should look for the, the can of safe name, like, like on my Kana package. Does, is there a can of, okay. yeah, yeah, it is. It is, it is, it is. Is it a recognizable seal? Because I'll have to look for it. Yeah, you check it out. Check, check it out and shoot me an email. Okay. I think I just threw away my last package, but um, I'll... Yeah, I got to stock up and take a picture. And, okay. I'll tell people to look for that too, because that it is important. I mean, we're consuming something. And again, for all the reasons that we've talked about, what you're putting in your lungs, what you're putting in your body, it's like you make the argument, you wouldn't put lousy gasoline into your car and this is your body. So it needs to be clean and proven clean. I agree. And that's what, you know, we're trying to remind people of what the intent of this is. You know, that's the, that's what I think is that people right now, I mean, that's just, everyone's there's an opportunity in front of everyone to make some money. And then, of course, that just clouds everyone's judgment. So I, I think it'll settle in and clean itself up. It'll just uh, take some time and a little bit of educating of our regulators to understand what this new market. Uh, Antonio, um, I want to ask you, is there anything else we haven't covered that we should? But I am curious, what position did you play in, in college football? <laughs> um, I was an offensive lineman, so I was about 40 pounds heavier. Uh, so I was a much bigger guy at the time. Still, I guess I'm still pretty tall. Aaron and I both, uh, our CEO, are both pretty tall. So people just, like, had this idea of us of being, like, of doing push-ups in our office. So it's pretty funny. So sometimes people just think we just, like – hang out and lift weights. Uh, but, uh, you know, Aaron's an NBA entrepreneur. He made a million bucks where he was like 22 years old. So uh, I think that's a little bit more uh, what we call numbers on the board to attribute to why we're able to do what we're doing here in this space as well. Um, so, yeah, offensive linemen. And I mean, I always tell our people, you know, they're the smartest people on the field. I always remind people, you know, when you look at the end of the scores, they're always the highest scoring people because we have to understand what everybody's doing. And you only hear our name when we mess up. You know, you don't really like if you if you don't know who a lineman is, it's probably better <laughs> than it is. 
That's right. It's it's not one of the glamour positions, and and here you are, kind of in a non glamorous part of cannabis. <laughs> but yeah, no, this, which is why I feel like I'm supposed to be here. I feel like I, I'm not looking for glory. I'm not looking, you know. Yeah, no, I actually I do kind of personally feel, you know, vindicated or justified for being here. You know, I know that may sound a little, you know, a little a little much for some people, but no, I, I do feel that way. I do feel like this is something I was kind of made to do. And I've been trained to do just different ways, whether it be an engineer, you know, because, you know, being an engineer isn't exactly glamorous either. You know, you're putting things together. You know, I wasn't the fighter pilot that was fighting these planes out help Bill. You know, I, I wasn't the uh, NCO, whatever you call the NCR, the nuclear person running the plant, you know, that I helped build, you know, but I was in the background making sure that it was safe for the consumers and the public that, uh, you know, would experience it. So I, I definitely think this is something that I have spent my whole entire career working towards and, you know, becoming more and more of a marijuana patient after college football, the headaches I ensued. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, uh, I mean, I, I think I caught the swine flu where it was a bird flu. It was one of those back in 2019, 2009 that was going around. It was pretty terrible. I mean, I, I can't imagine if COVID is similar to this. Uh, but uh, I got IV and a fistful of Oxy. And, it was, and, I, and I think I, and I played that week. Mm. I think I, I caught it on a Monday. And it was like, and, and I didn't take it. I was like, shit, I, I mean, if it made me play, I'd rather just smoke a joint. And, I, and that's exactly what I did. You know, I was like, you know, I feel terrible. I, I kind of still had a headache from being dehydrated is what the IV was supposed to help with. But I was just like, yeah, if I have to do this, I, I, I need to, like, take take it off for a second. You know, I didn't, you know, drinking always feels bad. It's kind of hard to go drink a bunch of beer and then go play football. But, uh, you know, a joint is something that, you know, people found. And that's and that's what's wild to I me. Mean, people never want to admit it, but a lot of these athletes, obviously now I think with the health consciousness of it, it's not there. But, I mean, at one point in time, I mean, like, you know, my wife's European should tell you in the 80s, you know, people used to smoke cigarettes on the bench, you know. So, you know, like people obviously figuring things out. And and that's why vape carts are a little bit more amendable. Uh, but, yeah, people have used this as a medicine or treatment in sports for decades. I mean, you know, there's every athlete will tell you which drug tests are THC based and which ones are performance enhancement because they all know the schedule because they all are, you know. Using some type of regimen. Well, yeah, and as a Division One football player, you're you're well acquainted with pain. You know, I had uh, Kyle Turley on a few episodes back, offensive mm-hmm. lineman too, famous for throwing his. Yeah, yeah his CBD brand, right? His his CBD brand. He was a he was a hard ass. I mean, I, I don't know if you know about his football career, but I mean, that guy is a warrior. <laughs> well, he he had a moment where he threw a uh, an opposing player's helmet down the field. <laughs> helmet. Yeah, no, I, I, he was one of the first ones I remember being disciplined uh, in football. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that type of behavior is uh, great, but it definitely was memorable as a young football, uh, especially being a big kid, right? Being being a lineman, he definitely stood out to me. Well, and he was very outspoken. I mean, uh, I found him to be very articulate and compassionate and passionate about cannabis saved his life. And he will tell anybody that. He had extreme vertigo, light sensitivity. Mm. He was ready to have uh, one of his legs amputated because he had so much neuropathic pain. And he found that cannabis helped with all that stuff. Wow. So. Wow. And that's, I mean, that's a better ending than probably a lot of his old teammates who unfortunately have met other demises uh, with these things, especially when you start talking about the, those pains and those frustrations that he was dealing with. A lot of those people that you see, unfortunately, make decisions to take their lives and dealing with very similar things. It's a very, I mean, it, 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 it can be, I've seen it with these guys, it can be a very 
sad, lonely life uh, after the league, especially when the glory leads you to, and then your body essentially does. Uh, right. Well, and as you mentioned, I mean, the opioids, they don't help. You know, they, I mean, they might help a little on the on the front end, but in the long run, I don't think they're healthy for you. Precisely. No, they're not. Your body just eventually shuts down. They get used to it. You have to up the dose. I mean, with cannabis, obviously, you certainly need to, you know, wean on yourself on and off or take different kind of products to keep your receptors uh, cleansed. But, yeah, I mean, normally, I mean, at least for myself, I, I take... I mean, I don't smoke enough to really have, a, I guess, a, a, a tolerance. But, you know, I remember in college, you know, you could take two days off and go run a few times. And then you, you come back and the, it's just like the first time, you know, it's just, it's just like, oh, here we go. Like, you know, you're not running it up the score, trying to keep up with the tolerance. So, yeah, I think it's a much safer option. You know, I think it has to we have to figure out how to responsibly use it, you know, even, you know, when it comes to employment. And, you know, drug test or impairment while driving, I think you have to, you know, consider all those things. Um, nothing's quite perfect, but I think, you know, like, you know, I, 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 you, you have to start figuring out what the next steps are because this is very clearly being used. It's not a secret. I mean, we know it's used in white suburbia and, and then the black and brownness of communities as well. This is something pretty rampant all over the place, and we need to get smart about it as a country. Is there anything else our listeners should know about CannaSafe that we haven't covered? Tom, uh, let me think. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me today. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. Sorry if we did get too off topic there, but I do want to remind everyone, you know, that uh, the the legal market buy safe products, uh, go see us at csalabs.com. We have a physician's corner. Uh, we have all types of um, education and uh, blogs and different ways for you to interact. We have journal templates for you to use for your dosage. There's a lot more conversation to be had about uh, the patient and uh, helping people find the right plan. So if anyone is curious about that, we call it Canicurus. If anybody is, you know, we deal with seniors, we deal with uh, parents, we deal with whoever that we can to help people understand what they're doing. We don't have all the answers, uh, but we do believe we can help, you know, be a guidance on your path. You know, that's why we lead you to doctors or the people who actually can make the decisions. We don't claim to be the ones. So, yeah, that's what CanSafe is trying to do and be. So you're right. We don't have products, but we most certainly want to be a partner for you and your cannabis experience. So with that being said, just thanks, Tom. Um, and, and I hope you got something useful here. I hope I didn't go too far off the rails for you. No, absolutely. Great stuff. And good to know that those resources are available. I mean, you mentioned a journal and I, and I tell people all the time, no, you got to track what you're doing so you know if it's working. So Seriously. if you guys have templates for that, I'll, I'll point that to people to that in the show notes. And uh, thanks for sharing uh, your time. And it was a great episode. Well, likewise, Tom. Thank you for your time and uh, have a great weekend. You've been listening to the Cannaboom Podcast with host Tom Stacy. If you like the show and want to know more, please check us out at Cannaboom with a K.com. And please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next week.